Yo, 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 yo. What up, everyone? My name is Dana B, and you are listening to the Two Week Notice Podcast. All right? I'm your host, and uh, thank you so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please hit subscribe, hit me with five stars. That stuff is really, really helpful. And I want to say thank you so much for all the good feedback on the last couple of episodes. Most recently, I had Andy Bonner, the piebald bassist, and we had a great conversation. Um, I really enjoyed that one. But now, today, today, we got my homie Jay, right? Jay Nightride, all right? Listen, this guy facts. This guy, he tours with Steve Aoki. Aoki? Aoki. I don't know. I still don't know for sure. Um, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say that. And you're going to hear about that. Jay and I discussed these things. I didn't know how big this guy was. Um, Steve Aoki, I'm referring to. This guy's massive. Uh, and Jay flies in private jets with him. I looked him up on Instagram. The guy's got like 9 million followers. Uh, and he's he's just an absolute legend in the EDM world. Now, I love EDM. I love EDM, for those who don't know, if you're an old fuck like me, it stands for electronic dance music. Now, I've never like dove deep into it. You know what I'm saying? But I love Daft Punk. I have Daft Punk on vinyl. I have several Daft Punk vinyls, like three or four of their albums, and I love everything they do, and I love a lot of other stuff. I just don't, like, know the artists in the in the songs, you know what I mean? The stuff that I do find, I find I like the deep house stuff and the housey stuff, but I still, I love it all. And um, anytime I've been to a music festival or some sort of, you know, uh, I don't know, just any type of venue where there's, like, a dance floor, I get down to that shit, man. I'll, like, if I hear some some dope-ass EDM, I get down. So I'm all about it. I just don't uh, I don't know the names. So this was a really fun conversation with my homie Jay. Um, but before we get into that, I don't know, I guess I'll just give you an update, right? I mean, what the hell's going on here? All right. You know what? I, I got to get this out right off the bat. So I was bartending the other night, right? This is, what's today? Today is Wednesday. It's the 17th of February, all right? And the last shift I worked at the bar, it was Valentine's Day, which was Sunday. I worked a double. I'm working all day. And, you know, it was it was pretty busy. It was a good shift. But the problem is, you know, with the COVID stuff, the COVID regulations, we can only have so many people in the restaurant at one time Unless they want to sit out on our patio, which is, mm, calling it winterized would be a stretch because, uh, you know, we put up some plexiglass windows and we have some, some, some heating out there, but it's still fucking cold, dude. People don't want to sit out there, basically. Um, so it's the tables that we have inside. It's a, the actual inside is pretty tight. It's small. And, you know, we have to space everything out. So there's only so many people we can fit. And we, we, I was turning people away. And again, there was no, you know, there was no food runner. There was no servers. It was just me behind the bar. So I'm bartending. I'm serving. My manager was helping me out a lot. And a couple of cooks, you know. This kid comes in. There's a four top open. And that was his only option. And this kid looks like he's fucking 12. And he, he was like really awkward about the way he sat down. He's like, can I have a, a, a Bud Light? And I'm like, 
bottle of draft and he's just like, uh, like to the point where I'm like, this kid is literally fucking 12 years old or just barely 21. Or he like, I don't know. I'm like, is this guy a cop? Is he testing me right now? You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what the fuck's going on? Long story short, he was just barely 21. I give him a Bud Light. And he had like one of those ear pieces in too. This is why I kind of thought he was a cop, but I don't know. He was weird. He seemed to be a nice kid. And he goes, he goes, what's your cheapest shot? And as soon as he said that, I'm like, I'm like, dude. And we're supposed to take food orders too. Like you have to, in Massachusetts, you can't just go in a bar and order a drink right now. You have to order food because it's supposed to be dining only. We're not allowed to just be like a bar. So you have to order food. And I was like, yeah, man, listen, you got to order some food. Like I can get you some cheap, cheap French fries, something like I got to put some food in front of you, buddy. And he's like, oh, oh, well, I'm, I'm meeting my girlfriend here. Um, she's on her way. She's running late. So I was just wondering what your cheapest shot is. And then I started piecing it together, right? And this is like 20 minutes into him sitting there. And I was like, okay, okay. I was like, I don't know, man. Like, what do you like? I don't know. What the, I don't know. Long story short, he ended up getting a shot of Jack Daniels, right? The kid's there for like an hour at this point. Fast forward. And dude, me and I, my manager, was sitting there going, oh my God, dude. Like, my manager, she smoked cigarettes, and she goes, I was outside, and I heard him on the phone with this girl. I think he's going to be stood up. She, he's going to be stood up. And I thought the kid was going to cry at one point. I just felt so bad. My heart went out to him. I'm like, because he was there for a fucking hour before he ordered anything, aside from one beer and one shot. And um, again, he seemed super nervous. And every time I walked over to like check in on him, he's like, oh, she's coming, she's coming. And then he ordered, he ordered uh, food for two people. And like a half an hour went by and their food was up. I didn't want to bring it out and let it get cold. My, like I wanted to cry for this kid. I was so sad. I gave him a free beer because I was just like, hey, buddy, here's a beer on me. Like I felt so bad. Girl ends up going, she ends up showing up. Right? And then, I mean, I was catering to their every need. And then I got fucking slammed. I got absolutely slammed. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, kid comes up to me like him and his girl. They were, it was fucking gross. He was literally feeding her. He was taking a fork, dipping it into like some food and, and reaching over and feeding her. That's when I was like, oh, stop it. Who, the f- who does that? Like, grow up. Not at a restaurant. I don't know. That shit made me cringe like a motherfucker. That was really hard for me to watch. And I kind of just stopped looking at them for a while. Like, I just like, I was like, all right, I'm not even, I'm not going to go over there. (laughs) But I did, I kept walking by and just checking in, you know, eye contact at the very least. Like, you guys good? All right, you good, cool. And then all of a sudden he just comes up to me and he goes, hey, my Uber's here. I need to cash out right now. And this is in the middle of me getting absolutely fucking slammed. Like, first of all, you don't order an Uber before you cash out. You see I'm absolutely fucking slammed, right? I'm slammed. Um, and again, I had I was so busy that people were actually sitting out on this patio. So um, I was getting my ass kicked, dude. He goes, I need to pay right now. I'm like, all right. And at this point, he had been taking up this four top for over two hours. And people walked in because they wanted to sit there or anywhere. But then they left. We lost business because 
everything was full, right? I cash him out right away. He goes, I need to pay right now. My Uber's here. I go, all right, buddy. No problem. Swipe his card. Give him a thing. He tips me zero dollars, dude. He tipped me zero dollars. I didn't make a scene. I don't make a scene with that stuff. And I fucking knew. Yo, he asked me when he fucking first walked in, what's your cheapest shot? You know what I'm saying? Like, I fucking knew. I didn't even try to upsell shit. Usually, like, we have hard lemonades. Um, and the hard lemonade is essentially just, like, it's like vodka, lemonade, and some, you know, strawberry, blueberry, mango, you know, black cherry, whatever flavor puree that you want. Very easy, but very popular drink. And I always, always, always upsell that. It's so easy. I'll be like, people be like, oh, yeah, let me get the uh, strawberry hard lemonade. And I don't, all I do is I go, Tito's? They go, yeah. Like, I don't even have to say, like, if I don't ask that question, I w- I'm supposed to just ring in the house stuff, which is a little bit cheaper. It's three olives vodka, which is not bad for house stuff. But, like, with him, I didn't even upsell it because I knew. He goes, what's your cheapest? So, I didn't expect a big tip. But for him to take up my fucking table for two hours and then demand the check and, and the card swipe immediately and... um you know, I gave him a free beer. I was prepared to comp his fucking stuff because I didn't, I thought he was going to get stood up on Valentine's Day. It felt so bad for him. Whatever. Fuck that kid. He needs to learn how to figure, I don't know. He needs to figure something out. But what bothers me was during that time, I had another couple walk in. Now we don't take reservations, people. All right. We did over the summer. We don't now during the winter. First come, first serve. There's a table. I'll sit you at it. But for Valentine's Day, because of the day that it is, I had people calling all goddamn day. Hey, can I get a reservation for five o'clock? It would be like noon. And I'd be like, yeah, no, I'm not doing reservations. Just first come, first serve. Come on down, you know. Uh, Maybe avoid five o'clock because everyone's calling asking about five o'clock. But I can't. And then they'll be like, "Um, so like how busy do you think it's going to be? And I'm like, and I'm like busy at the time. Like I don't have time to fucking go back and forth, dude. I'm like, I don't know. You know this place. You know it's small. Figure it out, dude. Have a backup plan. I don't know what to tell you. I can't say that, obviously. So what I have to do is I have to entertain this fucking conversation that I don't have time to fucking have. I'm like, um, <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know. People are calling for five o'clock. A lot of people. Um, so maybe come at six. Maybe come before that. Um, or wear a jacket and sit on the patio. I'll put the heater on. I don't know what to tell you, dude. It gets annoying. So I, maybe this sounds bad. I'm not, I'm not portraying it properly. But I had to have this conversation 30 fucking times on Sunday. So it got really annoying, especially while I was getting slammed. And, um, but while this kid, this kid who gave me no fucking tip, while he was there, I had a couple call. And they said, hey, we got these kids. Uh, we didn't think we were going to be able to go out for Valentine's Day. But now we can. Kind of a last minute thing. We got somebody to cover for us. Is there any way you can hold a table for us? And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I'm like, I'm really not supposed to do that. I'm like, when can you get here? Like, when can you be here? She's like, we're 20 minutes away. And I go, right now I have 
I have a, I have a two top I can put aside for you right now. As long as, if you don't mind sitting at the bar, I'll do it. But you got it. You, you said 20 minutes. She's like, yeah. I'm like, all right, just please, please just be here because it's, this is prime time right now. Don't fuck me. I didn't say that. Don't fuck me basically. So she's like, all right, thank you so much. I knew, I knew she was going to follow through. So I, I, I put up a little thing to reserve it. Five minutes later. And again, this is while this fucking kid is here waiting for his girlfriend, who he has to feed, apparently. Uh, a couple walks in, and they went to go sit at this two-top that I just reserved. That's at the bar. I said, hey, folks, how we doing? Um, that's actually, this, is, um, this isn't available. This is reserved. And they were like, the dude goes, I called you three hours ago. You, I talked, was it you that I talked to on the phone? I go, yeah. He goes, you said you didn't take reservations. I was like, yeah, dude. Well, you know, they called, I lied a little bit. I was like, they called five minutes ago and they're going to be here any minute, even knowing it was going to be 15 minutes. But you see where I'm coming from. I'm like, they called me five minutes ago. They're going to be here any minute. You called three hours ago, dude. I can't, I can't reserve something like, you know what I mean? There's a big difference between reserving something three hours in advance versus I'm on my way. You know, I said, also I had a table open at the time. I had a four top open and it was, I said, I do have this table right over there. That's open. If you want to take it, dude, you guys can sit there. I just, you just can't sit right here at the bar. And they're like, whatever, man. And then they, they like stormed out and fucking left. It was, I was just like, I don't know. I, at first, I was like, fuck them. I don't give a fuck. You know, I, I didn't really let it bother me. But then, like, the more, it's, the more I, you know, was walking around doing my thing, it just really got to me. It's like, dude, like, I had a table for you. And, and even if I did reserve a table three hours ago or whatever, it's very possible you would have ended up at that table that you didn't, that you didn't want that I offered you in the moment. It's not like I had nothing whatever. But then this fucking kid, you know, the kid who left and took up my fucking table for two hours and we turned away a few couples. It's just bullshit. He even spend that much money. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. People like that will just never get it, I guess. I don't know. I had to get that out. Um, what else is going on? Fuck. Um, I'm up at my condo in New Hampshire, kid. Per usual, you know, midweek, just cleaning it up, getting it ready for the next rental. Um, dude, I've been having a good run of guests lately. I'm really excited about Jay. I did want to say, um, not that this podcast needs a plug, but I recently just listened. Um, if, you got, if you're a Conan O'Brien fan, first of all, he has a podcast. It's really good. I don't listen to every episode. If I see a guest that I like, I'll check it out. But on the most recent one, Dave Grohl was just on Conan O'Brien's podcast. It, it was so good. Go check that out if, if that's your thing. It was, I like really enjoy, I'll probably listen to it again. I enjoyed it so much. Dave Grohl's the man. That guy just tells like cool stories. And he talks about jamming with like Paul McCartney and stuff and just stories from the road. It was cool. It was really cool. So check that out if that's something you're into. Aside from that, let's just get into it, dude. Uh, my homie Jay, all right, he is the CEO and owner of Night Ride Visuals, so you can follow him 
on Instagram. Couple of handles here. Um, Night Ride Visuals is one handle that's on Instagram. That's his company. And you can also find Jay himself at Jay Night Ride. So check that shit out. And uh, I hope you enjoy this conversation. I would love to have this guy back because it's funny. Like he talks about working with Avicii. And in the moment, I didn't know. Wait, see, I don't know the names. Like I said, Avicii, yeah, I know. Like I looked up his song, uh, Wake Me Up, has 1.2 billion fucking listens. That's billion with a B. I know that song. And I, was, I played all the top five that was listed on Spotify. I'm like, oh, yeah, of course I know Avicii. Rest in peace. I didn't know anything about him. I didn't know that he passed away. I didn't know any of that stuff. Right? Um, his song, Levels. Yeah, that song was massive. So uh, this guy has worked with, you know, some of the best of the best in the EDM world through his, uh, his talents. Okay. But he also has, he's a musician himself, and we're going to get into all that. So the music that you will hear on this podcast, and that you have heard, is from his band Sleep It Off. You can check them out on Spotify. And here we go. Here's my conversation with Jay. Please enjoy. All right, and we have my guy Jay here. You're listening to the Two Week Notice podcast. Jay, how are you? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Very good. It's so good to see you. Dude, you look so handsome. Your beard is like really at its prime right now. Wow, thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Takes a lot of work of being lazy. (laughs) A lot of effort doing nothing. Yeah, a lot of effort doing nothing. (laughs) Uh, So you're in San Diego now, is that correct? I am, yeah. So we we should just get into it, man. Um, the The way we met is it's kind of wild, with a more wild backstory, right? So I met you uh, in the San Diego. Where we played was it the House of Blues? I think it was the House of Blues. Yeah. Or no? No. What, no. I I forget the name of the venue. Fuck. But it was <laughs> it was on the it was on the dashboard tour. It was definitely San Diego, right? Yes. Yeah. Definitely San Diego. Yeah, that I, part. Let me find out. You know what? There's a world at our fingertips, but we can't even remember for ourselves. Yeah. Dashboard uh, Confessional San Diego. But yeah, man, it was dope. It was a great show. It was. And I just remember after the show, there were a few of us standing around in a circle. It was like me and I want to say like Andy from Piebald and like, like Chris Caraba was standing there. And what just people from the crew and stuff. We were standing in a circle, drinking a beer. And I happen to be standing next to you. And you and I got in like this side conversation. Yeah. Do you remember do you remember this? Yeah, vaguely. I was a little I, I had a, I was a couple shots deep by then, but that's okay. Uh, we got in like a you know, like you know how circle conversation yeah, 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 circle yeah, yeah. conversation. You and I went off the side, we started chatting a little bit, and whatever, we bonded, we we exchanged Instagram. Yeah, I remember that. Fast forward a couple months later, the tour's over. I clicked on your Instagram po- profile and I, I just saw like, it was like following Maddie B who's my brother. And then I I clicked, I was like, why is he following my brother? This is weird. <laughs> and then I clicked on my brother's profile and he was following you. And I'm like, wait, what? How do these two know each other? And just by chance, right? I met you on the West coast. Long story short, 
you went to Salem State with my brother and you took the same major as him at the same time. All the way on the other side of the country. <laughs> but but we don't know each other at like like those two meetings are just completely separate. Yeah, very weird, man. I mean, it's just one of those things where I was in Boston for so long and I, I knew Maddie, you know, I saw him every day. We were in the music program. It was a pretty small program. There wasn't a lot of us. So we all used to hang out in the cafeteria every day. Like it was good times. I haven't seen him in, you know, 10 years now, but that makes it even crazier that I'd run into you and you look just like him. So I was like, man, that guy looks fucking familiar, man. I was like, I don't know. I was like, something about him, man. Like, if, you know, it's like if you just shaved a little bit or something, I'd be like, ah, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, man, it's, it's weird. And, and seeing that and seeing the small world combined, like pre me being in the music industry to today, now meeting you on tour and then having your brother be like at the start of my career, knowing him and now sort of at the peak slash, you know, toward the top of my career, knowing you. Yes. And you explained it better than me. Like it was just, just so wild the way that I met you, you know, with, without that connection. Um, and I actually, I called Maddie last night. Oh, I sick. Him. And I, I said, Maddie, uh, I'm interviewing Jay tomorrow for this podcast. So like what you got to like, tell me about going to school with him and stuff he he goes first of all tell him i love him ah tell I, him i love him i love you too maddie and he said uh he said you were one of the most if not the most favorite person that he went to school with oh and man that's awesome he, he was like there were a few times we were supposed to hang out it never quite worked out but he's like that guy's the man and arguably probably the most successful person to come out of the music program at salem state I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it, man. I mean, that's that's so awesome. I, I'm glad uh, he had such nice things to say. <laughs> well, Matt, he's the, he's the best dude like ever. He is. He is. And I, I remember, yeah, I, exactly. Dude. It was one of those things where at that time I was so busy, but everyone was talking. And it was like, yeah, it was always like, yeah, let's make plans. Like we, we hit it off so well, but, you know, everyone has so much going on. It's like crazy back then. But uh, it was just as my uh, visual career was taken off. So that stuff happens. Uh, and he also, I said, are there any stories you can think of that I like, I need to bring up, give me one good one. And he said, actually, he goes, you probably don't remember because we were hammered. Uh, Maddie and I went to see, it was Blink-182 and Weezer uh, in Hartford, Connecticut. Yeah, I remember that and show. He goes, do you remember there was a dude in a banana suit and Mark Hoppus Mark Hoppus called him out. He goes, that was my buddy, Jay. That was him. I was like, no fucking way. So that was you. That was me, man. I was the banana. If you saw me, I did. I, I followed them for like six shows back then, all in the banana outfit, man. And yeah, I was so stoked they called me out too. It was, it's on YouTube somewhere. If you search like banana guys get called out, there's a video of it. You can see me and my friend Matt just like in the banana suits going crazy. But yeah, man, I forgot that. Yeah, wow. That's, that brings yeah. me back. Matter remember that, and we were we were hammered that night. Yeah, man, and Weezer. Oh fuck, man. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a great show. Great show. All right, so you read. So let's get into it. I don't even know you that well, man. I just know you from meeting at Dashboard, uh, out in San Diego, and then this connection with my brother. So moving forward, right? You you leave Salem. Oh, where are you from? What town are you from? Maddie said Tewksbury, but he he said it might be wrong on that. He was close. It's North Shore. So I I, I grew up in Haverhill. Haverhill. Yeah, yeah. Pretty close. Yeah, yeah. All right. So so you grew up in Haverhill. Uh, you go to school. Well, what? What? How old are you? I'm 34. 34? As of All last right. week. Oh, happy birthday, man. Thanks, man. Aquarius right. life. 
Nice. Yeah. All right. So uh, you do anything good for your birthday? Nah, man. I mean, COVID, you know, I kind of, oh, yeah. actually me and my buddy, Nate, my roommate, Nate, we, uh, we drove up to LA to see this like stranger things drive in. You like drive the car through like an experience and like these actors run around and stuff. It was pretty cool. It was all right. That's cool, man. Yeah. It's not the same, but you know, everyone's doing what they can and it was, it was fun. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. It is weird now. Getting too old, man. Getting too old. Yeah. You're right. You're right. <laughs> but, um, all right, man. So again, happy birthday. So, you you grow up, you go to Salem State, and you went you graduated with a music degree, correct? Yeah, yeah, bachelor's in music. I was going to teach high school. All right, so well, that's funny. Maddie's teaching school now, but so tell me, um, what did you do from there? So my whole plan was to teach high school. I came out of uh, Salem State with my bachelor's, and I moved to Western Massachusetts to do um, my graduate degree at Westfield State. I wanted to get uh, um, at least my master's, maybe a doctorate. I don't know. I was thinking that that direction. And um, I think uh, I had been commuting from Western Mass to Boston to do these like nightclub gigs, running lights for nightclubs and visuals um, for this party called Throad, which is like this dirty dubstep party in the Middle East downstairs in Cambridge. Uh, yeah, it was Tuesday nights. So I would go to Boston Tuesday nights and do this event for the club from 10 to 2. And then I would drive three hours back home to Western Mass, get home at 5 a.m., eat a little bit of food, get like two hours sleep, and then go to my grad program. All right. So so then what? Midway through the grad program, uh, the, the dean of the music department there, uh, the head, came over and was like, hey, here's the deal. Like, you're doing good, but I noticed you're tired. I noticed that, you know, you're not giving it your all anymore here. Um, are you sure that pursuing teaching is something you want to do? Um, and at the time I'd already been substitute teaching. I did like, uh, a couple of semesters at my, uh, high school teaching there, like doing like substitute and fill in and whenever people needed time off, uh, while I was doing the master's program. So I was already in it, but, uh, she kind of hit home. She sat me down. I was like, yeah, man, it just doesn't seem like this is what you want to do. Like you're really, you know, performance oriented. Why don't you try pursuing that or maybe give that up for now and, and really tackle this master's program with your all. So I thought about it that night and I was like, man, she's right. Like I gotta, I gotta either take the risk now or, or finish this up and go that direction. So I, uh, yeah, I dropped out, I dropped out of grad school and uh, moved back to Boston and started tackling the nightclub lifestyle, uh, doing lights and visuals for clubs there and started my company. Wow, man. For, for that professor to recognize that, make you realize it. And, and then for you to be like, oh yeah, she's right. Yeah, I mean, it's easy to say she's right now. <laughs> now that I, yeah. you know, it's been 10 years of having the company. Uh, we took off that first year that I really tackled it. I gave it my all. And um, I got a lot of phone calls from other clubs. I couldn't be two places at once. So I started calling my friends and teaching them how to do visuals like I was doing. And that's how the company started. Because it was basically me just hiring my friends to take these gigs for me and just taking little small cuts. And then eventually wow. turning that into a, a full-fledged business. Now we have 22 employees in three different countries. So uh, now I can say she was right. Wow. Now I can say she was right. But if, uh, you know, if I failed and then took three years off of grad school and delayed my whole process, I probably would be like, ah, can't believe I ever listened to her. <laughs> you, you took that feedback and ran with it. So yeah, let's talk about your company. 
Sure. Tell me about it. Sure. So it's called Night Ride Visuals. Um, that's where the name Jay Night Ride comes from. It's sort of just representation of the company. All the guys who work for me, uh, a lot of them use Night Ride as their last name too, just as ways to be like, hey, we're all part of the family. Because it was always about hiring people that I, I liked or that I, I connected with um, that I knew would be good representation of who I am and, and what I represent. So it was more about hiring good people. And my friends were easy options to be like, hey, man, like you want to make some extra cash? And it turned into us touring the world. I mean, we, we work with a lot of big clients. Uh, we've done uh, content for Travis Barker for the last Blink tour a couple of years back. And then uh, we did some content for Fall Out Boy, making uh, custom animations, that kind of thing. And then uh, we do live visual performance for Steve Aoki, which is uh, when he's on stage and you see big video walls behind him, we're creating the content that's on the walls. But I'm also touring with him a lot, pushing the buttons that trigger all the content on the walls. Dude, that is that is so wild. I have so many questions just off of what you just said. Like, um, I guess first of all, like, what did you know about that? Aside from it sounds like while you were going to school, you you kind of just got this gig. Did you know anything about lighting and visuals before that? Yeah. So it kind of takes me into the other part of my uh you know, life and creative goals is is the band world. I've been playing musical instruments, obviously, uh getting a degree in music. I was playing guitar and bass a lot at college. So uh, coming out of that, I was in bands. Um, I was in a band called Last Night Ride. Uh, we're on Spotify. I put it up. The album was ten years ago, so you can check that out sometime. But we uh, Last Night Ride. Yeah, Last Night Ride. That's how I got the name Night Ride for the company. I just kind of pulled it on. But for the band, nice. when I was playing in the band and singing and playing guitar, I um, I had started buying lights to learn how to program them for the band. So when we'd play shows, the lights would kind of work with the set. Um, so I, I taught myself how to, how to program lights and cable them and address them correctly. And I was like, man, I, when I was hurting for money, I was like, I should, uh, I should bring these to the, like, I, I was already going to that party throat. So I was like, I should bring them with me and like, see if they'd want me to like run lights for them, like add extra things to this party. So I hit up the guy who ran it. it was like, Hey man, like if I bring my lights next time, like can I get in for free, I'll run lights for free. Like give me some drink tickets. And they're like, yeah, sure. We'll even give you like 30 bucks gas money. I was like, hell yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went from doing the lights for my band to doing the lights for the club. And that's kind of how that transition started. And that ran into running visuals because their visual guy who was running on a projector um, had to leave to move to the West Coast back then, 10 years ago. So I took over his job of running visuals and that kind of started the whole thing. Dude, that's a that's a beautiful thing. Um, Real quick, like when when I or how I got the piebald tour manager gig dude i just showed up as their biggest fan i just wanted to be there kind of in the same way you just wanted to be there you know i showed up with a cowbell and uh they were like all right well all right might as well sure and then like they liked me they're like you know what you might as well sell the merch while you're here and then for the dashboard run they're like you know what you want to be our tour manager and i was like yeah like i just kind of worked my way in and that's what it's all about is is the good energy and the work ethic right yeah and and for you now, I have so when you started this company, eventually you you blew up and you you started hiring your friends. Did your friends know how, like how? What was did you did you train them? What was that process like? Yeah. So when the uh, the guy who had left the road, his name was Gels. He uh, he sat me down and kind of gave me like a quick intro tutorial to how to run visuals. It's not really a hard process as far as like the technological side of it. Like anyone can be trained to do it. But it's more like a musical instrument where it's like you kind of have to have that artistic uh, creativity and decision making and artistic view and vision, as well as good rhythm and timing for your hands to trigger the clip. So 
I think a lot of it came in time. And I, I was lucky that since the road was sort of like a, a, a freebie situation because they knew I was new, I, I, I learned how to develop those skills of how to integrate video to go with music really well to create a cohesive environment for people to enjoy at concerts to make it better, you know? And once I learned that, I started showing my friends and you know quick if they have rhythm, you know quick if they can pick it up. And, and once you see that there's potential, they would run with it themselves because it's just such a, a an outlet. It's a creative outlet for people who may not be able to play an instrument or may not be able to do something, but still want that feeling of being able to perform for a crowd. Dude, that, that was very well said. This is right up my alley because, you know, aside from maybe playing a mean cowbell once in a while, <laughs> You know, I really like, I don't have uh, much of a, I, I play the drums a little bit, but that's about it. Like, but I, I've always just wanted to be a part of the music scene. That's why I, how I ended up doing the thing I do with Piebald. And I want to continue to do that. And I had this perfect momentum shift in my favor with that dashboard. Right? I mean, that was a big tour. And then obviously, you know, everything shut down. So for you to say something like that, that gives someone like me hope, like I'll run the lights. I don't give a fuck. I'll sell the merch. I'll, I'll tour the, I'll manage the tour, whatever, you know, I'll do whatever. Yeah, man. It's all about having the passion. If you have the passion, it's all part of the performance, man. I mean, bands don't make money without the merch guy being good. Like the merch guy's got to crush it. The cowbell guy has to crush it. You know, it's all important. And I think that that's something that people miss out on a lot as, as like people who go and see the shows, they don't realize like, a lot of people don't understand that 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 backing support is so vital to the success of the people on stage. Right. So, all right. So you didn't you didn't just immediately, though, like you didn't just go right to working with Travis Barker and Steve Aoki. <laughs> right. I mean, so like what happened in between there? Let's let's do a little timeline thing. Tell me like the progress of that. Yeah, for it's, sure. It's a great story. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Yeah, I think uh, 2010 was when this all kind of started for me. Uh, that's when I dove into the throat thing. Uh, by 2011, we had three nightclubs in Boston hitting us up. Uh, Bijou was a big one that had opened that really gave me my first opportunity to to have my own place where I could really be creative and help with the lighting design, help with the video design. They they trusted me. It's it's Bijou was my pie ball. It was like I had some experience. I I loved music. I knew I had some talent, but I just didn't know how to apply it. And Bijou was the first place to be like, yeah, we got you. And then um. Then I joined Groove Boston that same year, which is a college touring company in Boston that does a lot of like um, college shows, um, performances, DJ performances. So I started to get more into like how a touring scene works, how putting together a show works, how building a stage works, how that that understanding came quick for me. And they really helped me out as well. So between Bijou and Groove Boston, I was really getting a lot of experience without having to work with an A-level artist that would have expectations for me to already have that experience. So it was really almost like going to college or something. It's like I learned so much in that one year in 2011 that by 2012, I was running visuals for Avicii, who is, you know, arguably one of the biggest EDM DJs of all time. Um, I ran a couple shows for him and then that sort of progressed into me doing more one-offs for big DJs that would come to town. And over the course, right. over the course of more years, uh, more DJs would come to town that start to recognize me because I, all the venues that were in Boston wanted me because I was the first guy in Boston to really, um, capitalize as far as like a company being a professional. There's a lot of guys doing visuals for sure and crushing it. But I think I was the first one to bring like that professionalism of a company to be like, Hey, like we're more than just a guy in a basement or a guy, you know, who, who trained himself in a bedroom. We are a team. So if I'm sick, wow. if I'm sick, I got three other dudes who can fill in for me today. Like you have nothing to worry about. Your show will always go on. There's no reason, no excuse for us to fail you. And people like that trust and confidence. And that built up to seven clubs in Boston. And then Steve came to town 
a few times before uh, I met his tour manager and he was like, man, we need a VJ. And this was 2015. He was like, let's go. Wow. Um, so, well, that's, first of all, that's like true leadership quality uh, for you to have people trained to replace you when you're, you're not there. And what they, you know, I was an executive for Panera Bread for a while, you know, corporate bullshit, but I, I mean, leadership is leadership. And one thing I learned along the way is no one's irreplaceable and you should always train somebody to do your job because if you can't be there to do it, or if you want to move up yourself, right? It sounds like you did that. Did you have any any leadership type of training, or did you just do this on your own? And were these your friends that you had, like that, like that didn't know what they were doing at first? Like, yeah. Do with, does it, do these <laughs> questions make sense? Yeah, for um, sure. My mind is blown. No, I got you, man. I, I appreciate it. I, it. It means a lot. I mean, this stuff means so much to me. I could talk about this all day. But yeah, I mean, essentially, I had no training. Uh, being in bands, I was always kind of the leader of the band growing up. I, I formed like two or three of my own bands. We did some small runs and and did a lot of recording and stuff. So I, I kind of always had that leadership mentality, but I had never um, gone to college for it or anything like that, or taken courses or even worked in an environment really where I was managing too much. I mean, I worked at a grocery store for a while, but other than that, I haven't really had another job after coming out of the grocery store. I kind of dove right into this and, uh, and I've been here since. And I had that grocery job from when I was like 15 to like 22. So it was like seven, oh, wow. seven years of working in a deli and, and bagging groceries into, you know, basically going on tour full time was uh, kind of crazy. Was it was it Market Basket? Nah, uh, this is a, a local grocery store. So we're talking North Shore, Massachusetts, Crosby's. Oh, Crosby's. Oh, yeah. You know Crosby's. Are those still around? There are. Georgetown was my home station. Oh, wow. And then to answer your other question, uh, we started off with friends for sure. I just wanted to hook up the homies. I wanted everyone to make money. I mean, I was doing well and I wanted my friends to do well. And it also helps me, like you said, to make sure that I'm confident that I could be supported if I, I couldn't do something or if I needed to do something bigger and didn't want to let other clients down by saying I couldn't be there for them. So your, your friends, um, th they knew nothing. The and then all of a sudden... They, they're like these pros at this visual stuff, which I still don't know much about. So forgive me. No, it's all good. I might, I, I might ask like really dumb questions, but um, dude. So uh, I mean, I guess we. I don't want to go too off the rails here, but I, I gotta ask. Um, what are those people doing like now? Were they working full time? And obviously, if they were, they're not now. So. How's that work? Yeah. So, I mean, when we started, it was just mostly just my friends, um, people I knew that I trusted because it was more about trust. I wanted to make sure that if I was forming a company that I had trustworthy people by my side, helping me build it and not people that would take advantage of me. I mean, it's so easy. Right. Um, so once I got that passed, I had like four or five friends. I started hiring uh, people that weren't friends because I ran out of my friend group. I can only ask. I was bugging people forever. There's people that didn't even want to do it. I'm like, no, it's awesome. You have to do it. They're like, ah, it's not for me. But I, I wish I knew you back then. I totally would have. I would have jumped on that. Hey, you, you still got time, bro. <laughs> I got you. All right. We'll talk offline about that. All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah. And, and uh, yeah, I think um, from there now, I, I think everyone's kind of off. Um, the Even myself. I mean, it's just there's no work to be had in this industry right now. So everyone's a lot of people are on employment. Um, luckily, I set the company up as a real company. I didn't try to bullshit it and take cash under the table or anything like that. So Right. We've been a real company for seven out of the 10 years. The first couple of years I was learning how to run a company, how to start a company, what payroll was. I mean, I had no fucking clue. So 
wow. you know, I learned a lot over time. I didn't want the government to come after me after like six years and be like, you owe us, you know, a hundred thousand dollars for the past five years. So I made sure to do it right. And because of that, now everyone's on unemployment that needs to be. And the people that don't need to be got other jobs, um, doing some small stuff, but we have a group chat and we check in every couple of months to make sure everyone's doing well. And, um, trying to plot their future and think ahead of the situation rather than sit in it and kind of dwell in it for no reason. Do you, do you pay them for that time on those group chats? Uh, well, the group chats aren't really work based. It's definitely more. I'm kidding. It's definitely it's definitely more meme based. There's a lot of a lot of dick jokes and stuff. Um, you know, uh, but yeah, I know, right? Yeah. No, I wish, I wish, man, I wish there was any money to be had. I mean, I, I like to see everybody eat, so it's never. Uh, just a me situation. When work comes in, I try to spread it as far and wide as I can for everybody. So you're the, I mean, you, you, this is your company. Yeah. You are the sole proprietor. Sole owner. Or, or the, the, the president, the owner, the C- CEO. CEO, baby. That's, that's badass, man. Um, so how did you learn that? So like, how did you learn about payroll? And, you know, like also there's uh, I don't know, there's, there's labor laws and things like that. Like, how did you learn about that stuff? Did you just study up or what? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm lucky now where I have, I had a lot of good mentors growing up. I mean, as far as like coming in the scene, the group uh, owner of Group Boston, Bobby, he had already been running Group Boston for a few years uh, and that was already gaining traction. So he he kind of already had a lot of that knowledge and I, he passed down a lot of that resources to me, which was helpful. Um, and a lot of Googling, man, just a lot of research and really putting the time and effort into learning it right and and understanding. I think that the reason people fail a lot of times is they just don't, put the time and effort in because it's too hard or because there's too used to a steady job. And it's like, if you want to get out of that nine to five, you have to put in 70 hours work when people think they might only need to put in 20, you know? So I was doing that. I mean, I was emailing everyone I could. I was networking as much as I could. I was going out as much as I could just to meet people and sort of introduce myself. And so people can understand what I'm about. And that networking really helped boost the company quick. And when that sped up, I, I hired a bookkeeper. I hired um, apparel company and kind of talked to them about what I was doing and how it needed to work and figured out that way. That's brilliant, man. Seriously, uh, a lot of respect for that. That's brilliant. And a lot of people take a lot of classes and, uh, you know, in a, you, you just either sometimes what I found with leadership, you have it or you don't. I mean, you can take classes and all those things, but, uh, it sounds like it just comes to you naturally. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Uh, so you were talking earlier about when you started um, hitting up all these clubs in Boston. And you got to forgive me. I love EDM. Yeah. But like I'm an old fart. <laughs> and and I don't like I didn't even I'm embarrassed to say it. I didn't even know who Steve Aoki was. That's OK. I don't, am, am I saying it right? Yes. Aoki. Aoki? Yeah, yeah, you're good. You're good. Um, but then I like looked him up and I was like, holy shit, this guy's huge. Yeah. And like, I listened to his song, like a couple of his songs, uh, on Spotify and I instantly recognized him. I just didn't know who it was. Uh, <laughs> but I like talked to a couple of friends before recording with you. They're, they're like, Steve, I hope you, yeah, that guy's massive. How do you not know this guy? So, um, you said there was another DJ in there. You said, who's arguably, arguably the biggest DJ there. my like edm yeah. to me like i love i love daft punk yeah, daft yeah, punk yeah, yeah. Is my, that's that's my shit but that may is that like the beatles of edm or am i wrong about that uh, to an extent yeah i mean daft punk's known as as it's sort of like there's different levels you know there's levels of like the legends you know kind of like in rock and roll like led zeppelin you think about those type of dudes where they came right. they came up on rock and roll they kind of helped form it they helped make it what it is 
So EDM has a list of people like that. And I would say Steve is even part of that. Um, he's definitely on that legendary status. He's one of those guys where you say his name and yourself uh, out of this, but most people would recognize it even if they didn't know EDM that well, because he's got such a big celebrity status to him. He's been in movies. He has a clothing line. He's got a record label. Like He's such an entrepreneur that when people go to see him, it's not necessarily because he's a good DJ, but rather because he's just such a dope guy who does so many dope things. People want to be in his presence. He's, he's so inspiring in that way. Um, Avicii was the other guy I mentioned. Uh, Avicii. Yeah. yeah. So since you're, you're not too EDM fond, Avicii had the song called Levels. Um, we're talking 2012 ish now. Um, and it was the biggest EDM song for years. I mean, it just, it, it catapulted EDM into this new mainstream market, um, that really helped launch ultra to be a bigger festival. It launched a lot of the things that are big in EDM today in America to a bigger level. Cause Europe was already on EDM for years. I mean, they've, they've been, they've had their electronic music going for decades now strong, you know, but America never really embraced it in a mainstream way until about 2012. And I, that's when, right. when Avicii was at his peak. So running visuals for him was a very, that was the first surreal moment where I was like, I'm doing something bigger than myself. Like this is, I'm part of something bigger. And it, it, it really helped re-motivate me. And then Avicii, I mean, sadly he, he committed suicide uh, a couple of years ago. And, um, Whoa. I didn't even. Wow. Yeah, he had a lot of uh, uh, pill issues um, on tour and, and a bunch of other struggles, unfortunately. And um, there's a movie, a, there's a movie about it online somewhere where it talks about how his management was kind of pushing him and uh, a little too hard, and he was over touring. And I think a lot of musicians relate to that. So that kind of, unfortunately, when this happens, it always kind of helps put that artist into infamy because it's kind of like, okay, we're not going to get any more work out of him. Unfortunately, we're going to have to appreciate what he gave to the industry and. It, it's put him on a kind of a bigger level. Um, so looking back and knowing that I had the opportunity to do a couple of shows with him is just like huge for me looking back on how it started. Wow. That's wild, man. That's sad. I mean, that happened. I mean, look, Mac Miller that happened with him. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of these artists that happens with, um, that's brutal. Yeah. Um, now like to me, like I said, I have like, I don't know, three or four Daft Punk vinyls. Do I sound like an old fart bringing up Daft Punk? You I mean, me. to be fair, I, I EDM is definitely my workspace. It's not necessarily my personal music space. So, um, you know, my my EDM history isn't uh, top notch necessarily. Uh, but I know Daft Punk. I know, they're dope. They've been around for a long time. I mean, they 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 are epic. You know, but they are they're I would say I wouldn't say they're dated, but I would say similar to the the Led Zeppelin comparison of like, yeah, they still play shows. I don't know if they do. I don't think they do play shows anymore, but. When they do, it's super, super. Well, I mean, obviously not now, but uh, yeah, now it's like. I mean, I love all different genres. Yeah, like from what I've read up on, there as like Outcast is impossible to get because Andre Three Thousand doesn't like doing shows, and I think Daft Punk is the same way. I feel like they're both legends in their own right, but they're impossible to get. But they'll do festivals once in a while. Yeah, just to make that paycheck real quick, probably. But they're it's. Yeah, I mean they're dope. I, they're they're a legendary status. You you will not lose street cred for saying you like Daft Punk. Everyone will appreciate and agree with you that they are dope. But at the same time, like if we're talking rock music, it's like yeah, I like the Beatles. It's like all right, well get with the times, buddy. Yeah, I mean yeah. Right? What what you know what newer DJ do you like? I mean it's hard. There's yeah, and there's so correct. many because since that explosions happened, the DJs. You know what it is? Is people realize they can make a lot more money if they DJed instead of being in a band. I think because it's like you don't have right. to. Go ahead. I got a I got a new no I got a newer newer one for you okay and you tell you tell me uh, you can make fun of me please do if it's if it's just justified Claptone ah that's Claptone I've worked with Claptone 
Dude, so Klepto, I've heard a few of his stuff, and it's so he's so good. Yeah, man, okay. I love that stuff. That that style's really uh, been on the come up the past couple of years too. Kind of that housey, kind of groovy vibe. Yeah, he wears that cool mask. I mean, how can you hate it? You know, uh, I think I didn't uh, know that. I've just heard his songs. I didn't know oh, yeah. the mask, but yeah, he wears a mask. He's. It, I think it's two guys producing, but only one guy tours or something. Because every time I've worked with him it's only been one guy but i think i heard there was two dudes producing either way super dope but he used to play at bijou in boston yeah. when i had that residency um i used to work with him like once or twice a year probably i don't know, i like the house stuff yeah, yeah man i mean i can give uh, you a lot of recommendations and the house scene's huge i mean guys like uh loud luxury and um there's a lot of people coming up on that scene and even if you look at the legendary status i mean the house scene just goes so far back i mean you got guys you know, out there who've been out there forever, like Roger Sanchez, John Digweed, Sasha, like, and, and those guys are all from that same scene. I know these are probably nothing to you, but I no, but I'm sure I like. I honestly like this stuff. It might even be stuff I've heard. I'm just I don't know the name. Yeah, people people will play something for me, and I'll be like, oh yeah, oh yeah, like you know I. I don't look like a dancer, but I'm kind of a killer dancer. Like, oh, dude, I've I, seen you I on stage. You got moves. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so. Um, you kind of talked about how you wound up with Steve Aoki. Yeah. I recently saw on Instagram, it was on your birthday, so it was probably a week ago, you threw up a flashback of him smashing a cake in your face, <laughs> yeah. which was an amazing video. Uh, well, what's your Instagram? You should just plug that right now. Why yeah, not? Jay Knight Ride. It's uh, J-A-Y-N-I-G-H-T-R-I-D-E, just like the, uh, yeah, just how you'd normally spell it, Jay Knight Ride. Jay, Jay Knight Ride. Follow him on Instagram. This guy's the man. Um, but I saw a video of him like smashing a cake in your face. And I've also recently seen, I don't know if you're on a private jet, but like it was a picture of you like on a laptop next to somebody else on what looked like a private sort of plane. Like I would love to talk about traveling with you. Can we talk about that? Yeah, of course. So we travel with a team of seven guys with Steve Aoki. Um, there's the tour manager, uh, photo, video, uh, myself running visuals. Um, then there's usually, uh, there was a physical trainer and an assistant. So six, sorry, six of us. Physical trainer. Damn. Yeah. He stopped coming as much recently, but we were on a real fitness kick a couple of years ago. So he was on board. But, um, so when we travel to the United States, we, we fly commercial. Um, you know, we're not too bougie or anything like that. Uh, we, we'll go through, but we do, we stay at the five-star hotels and we have that all included in the rider. I mean, Steve's such a, a big celebrity that, it, uh, his rider is very intense. So we kind of get trickle down effect you know we get a little bit of that niceness we, Yo, get, we get those wait, five. wait hold on go ahead like are you allowed to tell tell the people what his rider is because i'm so curious yeah i, mean, I can tell it, a little bit don't sure. say anything you can't oh, no. okay okay i mean the rider's pretty extensive uh and i have a funny story about it too so that's a good, good okay. transition but yeah uh yeah so we have a, a pretty decent rider i mean as far as like the there's stuff that goes in the green room which is like veggie dips very healthy snacks um, water, nothing, nothing crazy. He doesn't ask for anything insane. We asked for PlayStations one year. So we got, we ended up having a lot of PlayStations on the road. And then, um, but that was like the biggest request I think we've asked for. But other than that, it's, it's pretty average. I mean, the biggest thing for our rider is the cake rider. We have a three page cake rider about what to do to make the cakes that he throws into the crowd and how they're made. And then two pages of like examples of what the crowd should look like if they get hit with the cake, like what their faces should look like. So that you know if you made the cake wrong, because it's just very specific. You can't go buy any cake if you get someone who's allergic or uh, we had oh, we had one show where they bought ice cream cakes. You're like, you're not gonna throw ice cream cakes at people. That would hurt so much. Like, 
I love I love ice cream cake. That's my favorite kind. Yeah, of I don't think you'd want it going yeah. from a stage like fifty feet out and smashing your face while you're wearing no. a nice dress in a club or something. But no, it's like a snowball to the face. Yeah, so we mostly go for like mostly whipped cream is on it, and then it's a little bit of a cake base. But uh, that's most most of the riders made up with a cake rider. And then uh, when I had started with the with Aoki, our tour manager Dylan um, had hit me up. And was like, hey, can you update our rider to add more stage design? So we do a lot of stage design work. So we're like, yeah, we'll add a stage and like show diagrams of what Steve, where he likes his speakers and all that stuff. Um, but while we were in there, I uh, I snuck in the hospitality rider. I snuck in Sour Patch Kids because everything he gets is so healthy. I was like, man, like it'd be nice to have some candy on tour. And like, I don't think they'll notice. So, uh, you know, Nate, uh, my roommate who works for me as well, um, was working on the rider and he he snuck it in there for me. No one noticed for a couple months we were getting Sour Patch Kids at every show. So it's like all these healthy foods like granola bars, protein bars, veggie trays, coconut water. And then there'd be like a bag of Sour Patch Kids. And after a couple of months, Steve's like, why are there Sour Patch Kids at every show? <laughs> and you just see my tour manager, Dylan, like his face drop and he looks right at me because he knew that I was the last person to edit the rider. And he starts laughing. He goes, honestly, I'm not even mad. We'll keep them. Oh. So I've had Sour Patch Kids in like every country, like different versions of them, all kinds of weird shit. I love Sour Patch Kids, man. Yeah, me too. I mean, I've eaten an excessive amount. They should sponsor me at this point. Dude, they should. <laughs> hey, Sour Patch Yo, Kids, Sour sponsor, Patch. Uh, sponsor this guy. Wait, do you remember um, it used to be five cents for like the one big Sour Patch Kid? Do you know what I'm oh, talking about? Yeah, back in yeah, the day? it's wrapped in plastic. You can see the color through it. Yeah, it was the one individual. Yeah, like I like the green one yeah. personally. Green and blue are my jam. Blue, yeah. Oh, yeah. The blue, blue I like them all. Bad. They make the big ones in big bags now. You can get big, like a whole bag of big ones. But the blue ones aren't part of the norm. The the regular, the original is green, yellow, red, and orange. Yeah, they added the right? blue later, but they're in almost every bag now. You don't have to like get special bags anymore. You know what I like about Sour Patch Kids versus Sour Skittles? Ooh, hit me. Because I love Sour Skittles. Sour Skittles are great too. But that the Sour Skittles. They chew up your mouth. Yeah, it's true. You you eat one fu- like regular size bag. By the end of that, my tongue and the roof of my mouth is all chewed up because I eat them like like oh yeah handfuls. regular skittles. I I can't yeah handfuls. Yeah. But like so, if you get the fun size pack, it's all like it's I get halfway through. It's yeah, I got problems, but I can't put it down. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the other issue I have is the skittles kind of get stuck in your teeth, and the and the sour patch kids are a little gummier, so they kind of fall apart easier. Yeah, you're right. So as I get older, right. I can continue to consume them as I as I lose my teeth and hair and everything else. I'm with you. You said you just turned 34, right? I did. Yeah, so we're only about a year apart. Yeah. Nice. But um, all right. So I, I would love to talk about traveling, though. How many countries have you been to? Do you keep count? I try. Um, it's hard. I think um, the first year I was with Steve, we were doing 250 plus shows a year, um, which wow. for most people who don't know EDM, that's almost double what most DJs do um that's double what most bands do i mean that's a lot yeah he we we i think i don't know if we have the record forever but i know that he did he beat a, a guinness world record at some point for for a few things but yeah he uh he's we uh we did a lot that first year we took a private jet everywhere because we couldn't even book commercial flights that would get us to the next countries in time so we would do like a show from 2 to 3 p.m in switzerland because it was like a day festival. Then we'd take the private jet from there to Spain and we'd do like go to Barcelona and do a club show from 10 to midnight. Then we'd take that same jet to Ibiza and be there and do a show from 4 to 6 a.m. 
and then we'd go to sleep, Holy go to sleep shit. for a couple hours, and then fly from there to Vegas and do a show in the United States, then go back to Europe. Like we were doing no days off, like literally. Wow. Yeah, you look at the schedule, and it'd be like a bus tour. It'd be like thirty days every day a show, but we were doing flying instead of buses. So we were just private jetting to every single country, and I did. I've done, I think, 110 countries so far, vaguely. I'm sure I forgot a couple in there, but... 110? When I counted them, I was at 110. So that's the minimum, for sure. Oh, my God. I have so many questions. That's wild. (laughs) Yeah, it's a lot. Dude, that's insane. All right. So how long... um, You were touring with him right up until everything shut down, correct? Yeah. So the first three years, I was full-time. And then the last two years, I took a step back for mental health purposes and uh, I had one of my employees take over doing most of the like Europe, Asia type stuff because that was just so uh, like just really taxing on me. So I, uh, really? yeah, well, after a few years of just doing that many shows, I think uh, and not really having toured too much before that. I mean, I'd been with Cedric Gervais, who's uh, another DJ uh, before Steve, who I was doing a lot of the bigger festivals with. But we we're doing like 20 shows a year, 30 shows a year. So to go from that to 250 being on the road all the time, away from family, away from friends, missing weddings missing funerals missing i mean everything you know how tour life goes you, i mean you just have to be out there and doing your thing so you know i'm super grateful i had the experience but after a couple of years it was important for me to get some more time home to rest more time to get physical activity in I, I mean i gained a lot of weight on tour and i just wasn't happy after a few years so i just wanted to check in with their team and let them know how i felt and they were really supportive man and uh, the past couple of years, I've been doing mostly U.S.-based stuff and then a little bit of traveling in between because the first three years, I hit it so hard. Wow, man. So, But you did that full-time for three years. I did, yeah, full-time. So when you when you sent you know, someone who worked for you, um, was was Mr. Aoki, was he like, was he cool with that? Was just, he, he just trusted you to that point where he's just like, all right, like, or did he have to interview? Because like, you know, when you travel with someone, like you said seven people, I mean, you're in these tight quarters. You're basically roommates. You know, whether it's a private jet or 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 a bus, that's your family. So you you have to gel. You have to really get along. Yeah. So like, how did like how did you pick the person to replace you? Because that's a big deal. For sure, and I think uh, you know it's a combination of looking out for good talent, but also as we talked about at the beginning of this, good people. You know, um, I think I the Cam is the guy who works for me. Works for Steve now, and he. Um, just great, outgoing, really personable dude, always willing to go the extra mile. And he's really malleable in the way that he's really good at adapting to situations. He's good at reading people. He understands like, okay, now's not the time for me to tell a story about myself. Now's the time to be quiet while these guys talk. Now's the time for me to ask for a picture because it's a good time and it's something that I want for my collection versus, oh, I should ask for a picture from that person you know, in a situation where it's uncomfortable or not really called for. It's like, you have to know that level of professionalism and uh, it's all personality based, man. I had no idea. It could have gone either way. I, I made sure to take the time a couple of months leading up to it to train him on the show. So at least if the work was solid, th- there wouldn't be too much reason to complain about the company. In worst case, if they didn't get along personally, we could replace him with someone else. But I knew that Cam was probably one of the most likable guys on our team as far as everyone who meets him loves him kind of thing. So when I put him on, I was pretty confident and, uh, you know, I was ready to make the changes and I would have gone back full time if I had to. I wasn't going to lose the contract or anything. It was like, if this works, great. I'd love to make it an option to fill in for me. If not, I'm still here for you guys. I'll come back full force and I'll, I'll find other ways to mitigate. But uh, luckily, Steve loves him. I mean, he's Cam's way more adventurous than me. Cam's the type of dude who jumps off of cliffs in Spain with Steve. 
I'm the type of dude who's more like, let's let's Yo. talk about animations. Like, I, I get scared. I don't like jumping off of cliffs. <laughs> dude, well, it sounds like you picked the right guy because I would I would be jumping off of cliffs too. That's my that's my kind of vibe, man. Um, so you said you've been to like 110 ish countries. Tell me, can you tell me about like your favorite countries and why? You can you you don't have to pick whatever. Yeah, of course. I think it's tough uh, when you've been to that many to remember them all, too. I mean, there's definitely a lot of cool places I've been, and a lot of it's experience based on who you're with and what you do. Um, we don't get a lot of time off. A lot of the places we go in, we rush in, sound check straight from airport, hotel, venue, hotel, airport. So, uh, you know, a lot of places right. I haven't gotten the real chance to explore, but the ones I have, I've loved. So, a big one for me was Iceland. I loved Iceland. We spent five days there. Yeah. Uh, Steve extended our stay for the week and, and luckily kind of hooked us up on that. And we were taken care of and we went um, jet skiing on glaciers and uh, water. Wow. It was daylight 24 hours a day. So we went, you know, we went and looked at. Wait, I didn't even know you could jet ski on glaciers. Oh, yeah. Huge ice glacier, <laughs> man. It was sick. Wait, is that jet skiing or like ski mobiling? Oh, right. Yeah. Snowmobiling. Yeah. Okay. Oh, snowmobiling. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels the same. <laughs> okay. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. I meant snowmobiling same but I, yeah okay. so we're snowmobiling on the glacier and then uh we had gone to this like abandoned airplane thing that we took pictures in and then uh the biggest thing was there's this big uh blue lagoon which is this huge yeah, yeah. i've been oh, there six so you know it's yeah, yeah. man-made salt lakes it's, oh. it's so cool yeah dude it's like this it's like an acre like it's the size of a few football fields yeah, dude. and you just you, you go in right and uh and like i when i went in like I didn't take any pictures because I put my phone in the locker or whatever, but all these people had this mud on their face and I just, I was by myself. I just walked up to somebody. I was like, Hey, how'd you get that mud on your face? I want some. And the guy was like, Oh, just go over there. And there was like this little hut. And I walked up to this hut that's in, it's like in this giant hut tub. Right. And I was just like, uh, um, can I get some of that mud for my face? He goes, he goes, yeah, but first I got something for your beard. And he like, he, I don't know, he gave me some some stuff for my beard. But, but yeah, please go. I just, no, hell yeah. the Blue Lagoon's awesome. Yeah. The Blue Lagoon was amazing. Yeah, it was just one of those moments. There's a few moments on tour where I'm like, wow, like I'm doing something I'm going to remember forever. And Iceland, that trip was just one of those moments where I was going through a lot personally anyway. And I was like, man, I just need to get away. And having those five days to like really just like do something cool was was really fun. Uh, other than there, I mean, Curacao is another one of my favorites. Uh, it's an island in the Caribbean next to Aruba. And it's very much like Aruba, but without all the tourism. So although it's a little bit sketchy, you definitely have to know how to handle yourself and know how to, you know, kind of be independent and not trust like uh, need a travel agent to show you everything. But if you explore on your own, you get these gorgeous Caribbean beaches with like nobody on them. So uh, I used to go there like twice a year to do this festival called Amnesia. So I was doing uh, this festival just for them uh, from 2011 to like 2015. So I went to Curacao like 10 times and it was, it was gorgeous. And I definitely want to go back there. So that's, that's one of my bigger ones as well. That's amazing. Uh, have you, have you been to every continent? Uh, I have not been to Africa and I have not been to Antarctica. I can only imagine like, I don't, like I'm not even asking because if you did know, you probably can't even tell me, but just, I'm just thinking of the overhead cost to be able to take like, a private jet, you know, <laughs> yeah. a, a private yeah. non-commercial flight. A-list DJs make anywhere from 80 to 150 to sometimes 200 to $300,000 per show. So when they're getting paid, they're getting paid these numbers and it's one person versus like a band where you got five guys trying to support themselves. There's just a lot more money to go around as far as like 
over the course of time. So the reason that the private jet works in Europe really well is we do so many shows in a short amount of time that for us to try to book five, six flights, get delayed, miss shows, lose money that way. What he, what we do is we basically just take the jet, uh, we call it the Aoki jet, and we take it for the summer. And we, we'll take it out for the summer. You know, we'll have it decaled up nice and it'll look dope and, and we'll, we'll take it out. And then uh, over time, we've slowly been able to upgrade jets and, and do cooler things. I mean, we had a smaller one. Wow. We had a smaller one when we started where we were kind of knee to knee and it felt almost more uncomfortable than flying commercial, even though it's bougie because it's private, but it still uh, right. still was, wasn't, wasn't great. And then, you know, as Steve grew and the shows grew, the, the jet grew a little bit. So, if, you know, if people follow him you can see the Aoki jet gets a little bit bigger every year and, uh, it's uh, you know, really uh, one of those situations where I'm really grateful I got to experience that for you know a couple of months straight. But because you take it for that long period of time, it's not as expensive. That's still wild, man. And now, are you a drinker at all? Party? Um, I used to be. I, I don't drink really much anymore. Um, I smoke a little bit of medical marijuana, but uh, other than that, I uh, yeah, I've kind of quit cut down on the drinking. When I started in the club scene, I hit it kind of hard, 2010, 2011 ish. I mean, people were just handing me shots left and right for free. Uh, when I found out that my boss was literally standing next to me taking shots with me. I mean, it's easy in this scene to get caught up in that when people are just handing it to you. Um, you, you have to learn how to be disciplined. And I, luckily, I learned that in the first couple of years and started keeping it more casual. And now, I mean, now that I'm older, it's like it just I, my body can't handle it the same way. So, uh, you know, I, I would rather kind of relax and kind of, you know, uh, smoke a joint or something like that if it's in a place where I'm allowed to. And if not, then... Uh, you know, I might have a drink or two, but I've kind of cut back a lot. And on tour, it's impossible, man. You do so many shows. It's like, you really got to kind of keep your shit together. Right. Well, I mean, well, piebald specifically. I mean, we we like, you know, like our rider, it's just like a bottle of bourbon. Yeah. End of the night celebrations. Ace of beers. Of course. Uh, well, maybe a little sippy sippy yeah. just to loosen up before the show. Yeah. Maybe a couple beers. Yeah. You know what I mean? I have nothing but, against it. I think over time it's been harder for me personally just because we do so many shows and there's so many flights. On a bus, it's a lot yeah. easier to kind of be able to do that kind of thing because you're like, cool, I, my bed's right there. But when you know you have to catch well, a flight at 7 a.m., it's like, ugh. Well, for me, like when we were on tour at Dashboard, yeah. There were only it was only the four dudes in the band and me and I was driving at night. Ah, savage. So well, I would you know, I would plan that. Yeah, out, of course. Right? Be- before the show, I'd have a couple beers, you know, a couple, sip of whiskey, yeah. whatever, loosen up, just to get me on the yeah, yeah. <laughs> just to get me on the get me on the stage to play the cowbell, whatever. And then um, at the merch table, people would like be like, "Oh, can I buy you a beer?" And I'd be like, "I." Sure, yeah, not? of course, man. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm all about sharing that experience. When I go to Vegas, a lot of the technicians there know me. We'll definitely share a few drinks. We'll go to dinner or something. We'll grab a couple of drinks. We'll have a few drinks during the show. Like it happens when the time is right, when the place is right. But if, I, if I'm right. just at work and I'm at a place where I'm not really like vibing with other people, I'm definitely not one to just like start drinking. I think uh, for me, it's just like uh, it's never been that awesome for me to to get wasted. So. Uh, even even though I don't judge and I, I do drink from time to time, but I definitely get wasted from time to time. I think over time I've sort of sort of appreciated more of the keeping in the same mindset, kind of keeping a clear head as much as I can. Um, but also, you know, smoking marijuana. So, you know, it's not the clearest of heads. Well, it's just a different vibe. No, a different vibe. And as you get older, it's harder to, to party like that. Definitely. Uh, you, you like, you just start listening to your body and you're like, yeah, no, I, I can't keep doing this. Yeah, at least I know I won't be hung over the next day. Right. Um, so it's, 
I just still keep thinking about this overhead, right? You said anywhere from, what was it? What'd you say? 80 to 150? DJs, yeah. I mean, I would say they average out at like 100 grand depending on the DJ. But yeah, I mean, it could be anywhere from that to a lot of the bigger festivals and stuff could be in the 200 to 300 range. And a lot of the smaller shows, if you're a smaller DJ, even smaller guys, you're talking 30 to 50 grand. So there's just a lot of money right. to be made in that market when it's one guy DJing and, and equipment wise, everything's provided. I mean, we just have to bring headphones and some USBs and a laptop to like get ready, you know? See, that's huge. Like as far as that type of music, you don't have to, you're not bringing amps and yeah, no background. And yeah. And that, no, that's huge, man. That's, that's huge. But also it sounds like, um, Mr. Aoki is a is a very generous guy because well and efficient, but he's smart. Like you said, he's got his own clothing company and all this other stuff. So, um, and he's probably selling all that at the shows. Merch is everything, and I imagine. I mean, is he just getting merch shipped to each venue? How's that work? Yeah, we actually so we don't do merch on the fly dates because it's just too hard to get things there on time, get it set up. Um, we tried uh, this past year, we, we did a lot more merch work. Um, but on the bus tours, we really hit the merch hard. And it's it's he has two different markets of clothing. So he has his tour merch, which is the similar to a band's tour merch shirt, stuff like that, you know, 20 to 20 right. to $50 range stuff. But then he actually has right. a high end like New York fashion magazine type clothing line. Um, oh, called, damn. called the Dimmock collection. And now you're talking, you know, $1,000 pieces, $500 pieces. Uh, high end, Holy yeah. Shit. He has a high end clothing line as well, so it's kind of a separate thing than the tour merch. But yeah, I mean, we, we do try to travel with tour merch when we can. It's a little harder when it's just like a quick show. Uh, but when we do big runs of like bus tours and stuff, we always make sure there's merch, you know, to get the fans going. Right, right. All right. Well, um, let's transition. I see all these amps and and this. You're in this studio. Is that is that a, at your house? You're a musician. I want to talk about your band. Yeah. So I, when I was back in college, where are you? This is my studio. Like right now. Yeah. So I'm in San Diego. Yeah. I got a little home studio I built here. Um, I worked with uh, the guys over at Slate, uh, Slate Digital. They're like a, a recording engineer company. They do a bunch of like technology audio based um, to build the studio. Um, they built one for Steve. So I had a nice connection there. I hit them up. I was like, Hey, could you help me out? And they, they did. They were great. So I built this uh, home studio and it's, it's kind of based on all my knowledge from college in 2010 because I had had um, I had an internship at a studio back then and I learned how to kind of get these preamps and all this stuff going. So it was like a, yeah. a, a process in learning how to record myself. Um, I learned 10 years ago and slowly kind of built up equipment. Now I have like a pro studio from home and I have a, a couple of bands I'm in that I, I record and kind of can be self-maintenance. That looks badass. This might be too personal of a question. You tell me if it is. Uh, like, do you own your house? Do you rent? Like, what? Like, what's your? Uh... Yeah, no, that's okay. I, it's almost no questions too personal for me. My line is, uh, right. my line is really <laughs> crossable. But uh, I had, uh, yeah, we bought this place. Me and Nate, uh, my roommate, we, uh, he had uh, some money saved up. I had some money saved up from uh, you know a couple years of touring, and um, we didn't know what to do with it. We were like, you know, we each had like fifty grand in the bank, and we we're like, should we? Should we invest it in something? Should we, you know, put it into stocks or Bitcoin and um, property? Yeah, both Pro- us kind of property is the way to we go. We wanted to expand the company. We wanted to be closer to the West Coast because we had a lot of shows in Vegas and LA, and we were like, man, if we we're on the West Coast, everything would be easier for business, and it'd be a worthwhile investment. So, worst case, we would just sell it, you know. Um, 
Exactly. So two years ago, we, we put the hundred grand down, bought the condo here. It's three bedroom, which is two bedroom and a recording studio. And uh, nice. yeah, nice. yeah, it's not bad, man. I mean, it, it, I love Boston. Boston's home. I miss my family. And yeah. I miss I miss the Boston scene. But uh, I mean, we have a really great team out there taking care of things for us that we talk to all the time. And then we came out here to expand and miss winter. Like we don't need snow. There's no snow. It's awesome. Yeah, I went snowboarding today. It was great. I can go snowboarding. It's a two-hour drive north, and I don't even have to leave. What? What, what is that? Bear, 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 big bear. Yeah, yeah. I I haven't been out there, but one day I will. I'm in New Hampshire right now. This is a, a ski condo I bought like a, like five years oh, ago. Yeah. Um, same thing, man. Like I don't, I don't know anything about the stock market. I don't. I'm not good at investing and stuff. But I've bought a couple of condos, and I, I just think that there's no more precious thing than like land or property so i think that was a very smart investment and san diego are you in san diego proper? yeah so we're we're about 15 minutes from downtown over in north park and uh our place actually has already gone up 80 grand in the past two years so we Hell we yeah, already dude. see that it's going to be a good investment but yeah. i figured worst case at least you're not paying someone else your rent like you're paying yourself so you get your exactly you get your rent back when you sell everything so it's like having free rent in a way that was why I was living, uh, you probably know the town, Newburgh. Yeah, of course. My mom lives there. Oh, beautiful. So I was living right downtown. Um, and like the most expensive part on town, I was right on State Street, like above the oh, garage. Oh, yeah, like, I know the garage. It's an old restaurant there. And long story short, man, I was paying crazy rent to live there. And that's when I was like, this is going nowhere. I'm paying this rent. It was the best apartment I've ever had. But where was my money going? Yeah, exactly, man. <laughs> no same way. here. We were we were in an apartment downtown Boston paying, you know, the same amount of money we're paying now to own this place. Stupid. Yeah. All right. So tell me about your band. Sure. So I, I have my own projects that I'm working on. I'm doing a lot of solo stuff as far as like uh, coming up with um, these remix covers that I'm doing. So on Spotify under J Night Ride, I have these. It's going to be a full band thing where I'm going to be running all the instruments basically myself. Uh, all the pieces myself and then making music videos of all songs that meant something to me or songs that hit me in a way, whether they're current or throwbacks and then releasing a big cover series on Spotify with just a bunch of stuff that I do my renditions of. Um, aside from that, I have a band called sleep it off. I play bass and backup vocals. Uh, we I've been with them for about three months now. Um, we just started streaming and we're, we're working on recording more music, but we have a few songs on Spotify as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's been going really well. It's like pop punk based. It's very, uh, upbeat, fun, kind of like driving pop punk. So on Spotify, you can look up, sleep it off, sleep it off on Spotify. Anywhere else? Uh, it's on that, all, all the all the platforms. Jay Knight ride and, and sleep it off on our, on all platforms. Jay Knight ride, sleep it off. Let me ask. So what was your focus, um, at Salem state? Um, as a music major. Sure. Yeah, I, I was, I, well, performance wise, I was playing bass. So I was playing electric bass in the orchestra, which is really funny because they'd, they'd sit me next to the tubas. I'd always play the tuba parts. They're like, <laughs> they're like awesome. we don't know what to do with you. I was like, I don't know. I need to join something. And you guys said orchestra. So here I am. And they're like, well, we've never had an electric bass in orchestra, but screw it. Just play the trumpet parts. So I sat with the trumpets and literally was playing the same pieces with them with a little bass amp next to me. And uh, I learned how to play sitar while I was in college, did like a sit down Indian sitar class. That's rad, man. I would say that that is very fitting with how you've lived your life. 
like in how you started your company, right? You're in college. You're like, well, I play the electric bass. They're like, we've never done that before. Well, you do now, right? The same way you started this company. You just kind of made things happen. Yeah, it's kind of that. It's kind of corny, but it's awesome. It's the fake until you but make thing, it. Uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's what I did with the cowbell. Ah, I'm here to play the cowbell. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, just, I'm here. Yeah, I, I'm I here. will put in the effort to satisfy what you're expecting of me. I may not know how to do it right now, but we'll learn yeah. we'll learn together and I promise you I'm the type of person that I, I can learn the skills. Just trust that I have the motivation to give you what you need. Exactly, man. And that's how uh like anywhere I've ever I've ever worked, I've always like been promoted, you know, whether it was corporate jobs or even yeah, pie cowbell to tour manager, because I show up, I have a good attitude, I have good energy, and I'm happy to be there. And I I'm I just I don't know. You just make it happen. Yeah, people always say like, that's what it's yeah, all about. People say you're so lucky and it's kind of a double edged sword, right? Because it's like, well, for one, I worked really hard. So it's not luck. You know, there's, there's, there's right. a lot right. of work behind it. Now, that being said, there's also a little bit of luck in the sense of who you connect with and how they perceive you. Right. So it's like meeting, meeting you and, and the dashboard guys, the perfect example. Uh, it was just one of those situations where I had met Chris Caraba on tour with Steve watching them side stage, just being a fan and was like, I, man, I, you know, I know some dashboard songs and I, I loved watching the show and it kind of let me dive into their discography more after that. And then those guys coming off stage and, and Steve was gone and, and Chris came up to me and was like, Hey man, it, you know, I, I, let's, let's talk. And like pulled me aside when I was trying to get out of the way, they were coming off stage and I took off. I was like, I need to get as far away as possible. So those guys have a direct right. line to wherever they need to go, respect the artist. So I intentionally, yeah. intentionally walked 30 feet away and Chris actually walked all the way over to me. It was like, Hey, I saw you watching the set. Like, you know, you, do you work with Steve? Like, what's your deal? And I was like, yeah, man, I told him a little bit. And, uh, he took my, he was like, yo, let me give you my number next time. Like hit me up next time I'm in town. So it just happened that when he came to San Diego, I hit him up and, and I met you and I met him and I met Scott and a lot of the guys in the band. And I think, uh, like you said, it's all about being good people and just, uh, you know, supporting each other and being willing to put in the effort to help those people out, even if it's not your forte. Yeah. And just being good to those around you. Like, you know what I mean? Whether like say I'm working a corporate job and I was, I was, uh, an executive at one point and I would go up to the dining room person. I would treat the, whoever's cleaning the dining room, even though it's the lowest rank job, I would still treat them the same that I would treat my boss. You just treat people the way people should be treated. Yeah. And never get the ego, you know, never let it go get ahead of you, man. I mean, I'll, I'll still take gigs that are, that are sm much smaller than the artists I work with when, when, I have time to do so when it's fun, you know, it's like remembering that when you're in the music industry or any job, it, you should be passionate about it. You should care. If you don't care, then you're probably not living your life to the happiest, fullest extent you can. If you're not doing things you care about, I care about music. I care about the industry. I care about the artists I work with. I care about the people like you on the road who, who, you know, need the support of other people like you, you know, and it's like, we're all here for each other. So it, it feels good to be able to turn that into something that helps pay the bills, you know, but Hell it's not, yeah. it's core reasoning. I would still be doing this stuff. I would just be doing it for free and doing it for much smaller artists in a way that isn't to the level I can do it. Shit. I think, uh, what else do you got? What else can we plug anything? That's probably a good way to end it. You just said that. Perfectly. Yeah. I mean, that's great, man. I mean, my mottos do more. So, uh, you know, I think we did it all. Hell Yeah. Yo, Jay, thank you so much. Dude, man. Dana, thank you so much for having me, man. It's so good to see you. Let's uh, let's talk again soon. This was beautiful.
Yo, yo, yo. Hey, come on. Yo, that's it. I hope you enjoyed that. If you like what you hear, hey, please hit subscribe. Please hit me with five stars. I'm going to lay down the guilt trip right now, people. You're getting free content, all right? The least you can do, especially, especially if you have the Apple Podcast app, yo, just like click on the the show page and just hit that five stars. Boom. It's super helpful. And if you want to go above and beyond, scroll down, write a nice little review, bada boom, bada bang. You are helping the two-week notice podcast. You are helping Dana B. It would just mean a lot to me, all right? We got that shit over with. Now, a couple of things. Thank you, Jay, first and foremost. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed that conversation. And I, I, I want to talk to him even some more about like what his favorite bands are and more about traveling. He's been to over 100 countries. And um, yeah, I could talk to that guy for a while. So we'll get him back one day. But in the meantime, thank you so much, Jay. And you should check out his music. All the music that you've heard on this podcast thus far has been from his his band, Sleep It Off. You can find them on Spotify. And I'm going to play you some solo shit from him in a little bit. But first, let's have a learning moment. Come on! So, at the risk of making myself sound really stupid, which, well, that's what this whole podcast is at the end of the day, is it not? So, what do I get to hide at this point? But Jay used the word malleable earlier uh, in reference to the person that he had fill in for him uh, to tour with Steve Aoki when he was taking a break. And I knew based on the context in which it was used what the word malleable meant, but I still wanted to look it up. So for those who don't know, (laughs) I'm going to read it to you. Now it's referring to a metal. This is like Webster Google Dictionary. Basically, again, referring to metal, um, able to be hammered or pressed permanently out of shape without breaking or cracking. So in reference to a person, um, the definition is easily influenced or controlled by other people. But I I don't like that, that whole controlled by other people. What I would like to say is adaptability, right? Able to adapt. And that got me thinking because... um, I asked the question, you know, how are you able to choose Cam to replace you? You know, when you fly on a private jet with, you know, five other people or something, I mean, you're basically roommates. And that's kind of a big deal. So how'd you pick that person without, you know, being concerned? Like, how'd you, how, how'd you get that confidence in him? And he said, well, he's very malleable. And this is where I personally need to learn. So that's why I looked it up, because when I first started touring with Pieball, dude, like, I was wicked annoying. Me? No, I know. Shocking. Very hard to believe. I know. I know. (laughs) No, but I just kind of showed up, and I was persistent and stuff. And, you know, there's two sides to my personality, right? There's the good and the bad. And the bad was like, well, the good, let's start with the good. The good was, I know that, like, I wouldn't be where I am right now. I would never have gotten that tour with with them on Dash, like, with Dashboard and all that stuff. Um, or even been able to play the cowbell in the first place. But at the same time, in the beginning, there were times when I definitely annoyed them so much. Like, because they would give me the backstage pass and I was just like, holy fuck, I'm hanging out backstage with Piebald. And they'd all just be chilling, just be trying to be mellow before their show. And I'd be like, hey, Travis, so tell me about what you thought when you wrote the song, you know, I don't know, fucking 
whatever. <laughs> Fucking sex sells. Whatever it was. And uh, eventually I, I adjusted, I adapted, I became malleable, <laughs> but it took a while, you know. There had to be a piece of there had to be a piece of metal in there at some point that was malleable but was wicked annoying. <laughs> But eventually, it was ultimately malleable. That was me. <laughs> I figured it out eventually, you know. Um, yeah, it definitely was annoying at first. I, I was just a big fan, and, you know, they were very patient with me and stuff. But still, like, you know, when we were, like, with the Boston's, I mean, I had an all-access pass. I didn't go back and start asking the Muddy Muddy Boston's, hey, hey, Dickie Barrett, let's talk about, uh, you know, your singing. Like, I... I knew then, you know, I still adapted or even with dashboard, you know, um, I didn't bother. I would see the guys from the dashboard crew every day. I didn't really bother them. I would talk to them in passing. You know what I mean? I would walk by the tour manager, Jack Funk, Mr. Funk. I literally, I literally walked by him like, Mr. Funk, how we doing? And, um, if I had a question to ask him, I would wait until he was standing around. Like, you know, looked like it was a good time to ask. I wouldn't just be like, I wouldn't just walk up to him and tap him on the shoulder while I was in the middle of something. Which, you know what? The old Dana might have done. So I'm trying to become more malleable. That's the word of the day, people. All right? And there you have it. Malleable. I've learned that sometimes, and this is something that, not just in touring with Piebald, this is something that even whether it's my place of work as a bartender or even with my family or with my friends, Yo, sometimes you need to just shut the fuck up. And it's, honestly, it's a constant challenge for me. It's not that I don't listen. It's just that I'm very excited. I have a lot to say. And, uh, you know, it's just that high energy thing. I've had it my whole life. But um, it's something that I constantly work on and that I constantly think about. Malleable. All right, there you go, people. Um, But anyway two-week notice podcast, and um, I guess that's pretty much it, dude. Here is Jay, his solo stuff. You can find this on Spotify, all right? It is called Jay Night Ride, and he does everything. He plays all the instruments. He does the singing. He's a killer singer, and I'm trying to encourage you. Jay, I know you're listening. I'm trying to encourage you to do more of this. Put more of those songs up there, man, and um, whatever. Here's Jay. He's covering the song. It's by Hot Mulligan, and the song is called Deluxe Capacitor. Jay Night Ride. Two-week notice podcast. I love you all. Poise. Well, it's been two years now since I've emptied out any Swisher sweets for blood wraps just to get on. Tell me why I get so hung up over the same shit like that Dress you wore in high school, guess that Meant more to me than it did to you I love you, you know I could never compose with thoughts or a song So I guess I'll get stoned by myself As if I have anyone else to run to
missing Every high note of key somehow It always made sense to me In the drives we made to see the lake I thought about it yesterday And I'm sure that you did too Don't forget that no one knows you better than I do I love you, you know I could never compose my thoughts or a song So I guess I'll get stoned by myself If I have anyone else to run to I made, but I still long for better days.